For those who remain, I will invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 20. Uh, We took a little break during the Advent season to look at Colossians, and we're coming back to Hebrews. TJ introduced us uh, to Abraham, who is a theme uh, going forward, especially as regards his interactions with a mysterious king of Salem named Melchizedek, but we'll talk more about him next week. Uh, For this morning, let's focus here on chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. This is God's word. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. For Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see this sure and steadfast anchor for our souls, that we might hold fast to it, that we, with our father Abraham, might wait patiently, that we too might obtain the promise. Work this in us for the glory of Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Why is it that it seems to be such a struggle to hold fast to our faith? Maybe it's not always a struggle, but it seems the longer we live, the more we experience it's, it's a difficult, nearly impossible struggle to hold on to our faith. I just read a book, The Great Dechurching, that does a, a statistical analysis of the fact that in the United States alone, 40 million people who used to go to church at least once a month no longer attend at all. Not 14, 40 million people right now out there have found it so difficult to hold on to the faith. They've moved on. Where do you struggle to hold fast in your faith? 
What are the things that arise in your life or your experience that, that makes all of this untenable? Have you encountered circumstances that just seem impossible to bear or worse, impossible to reconcile with the idea that there is an all-knowing, all-loving God in charge of all of these things? Or have you seen loved ones suffer or wander or pass on? Begin to wonder what kind of world is it we live in? And why is it worth holding on to some belief that seems to make no difference? Or maybe you look out or look ahead and you are full of fear and wonder and dread at all of the uncertainty that at any moment the unthinkable could happen. How long ago was it? When all the experts were saying, Russia won't invade Ukraine, that's ridiculous. How long ago was it when all of the experts said this or that or the other? But the cancer that was in remission came back. The job that seems certain is gone. What is it that you experience that makes it a struggle to hold fast to your faith. When we read the scriptures, we read responsively Psalm 145. We just sang Psalm 72. And we read, even in this passage, we read words from our Creator God that indicate that his desire for us, his work on our behalf, his hope for us, if you'll let me say it that way, is that we would live in this world broken and fallen and miserable, though it may be, that we would live in this world as those who have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. That we would live as those who stand on the rock that is our God. That we would live as those who, buffeted by winds and waves of uncertainty and trial and tribulation, yet know something for certain. Our God reigns. That our God keeps his word. That our God is sure. And yet it still seems to be a struggle to hold on to that, doesn't it? Why? Why is it such a struggle to hold fast in our faith? This passage addresses at least three reasons. And I want to look at them this morning. And the first is this. We struggle to hold fast in our faith when we see our God as unreliable. And who keeps their promises these days, right? I'm starting to get all of the emails and phone calls and texts and mailers with all of the politicians making all of the promises. And I've been through this cycle enough to know that they're going to make a whole lot of promises that they aren't interested in keeping, won't be able to keep, 
Who keeps promises these days? My children could make a long list of times I've said, I promise we will fill in the blank. Go to the park. Eat cheeseburgers. Build something. Have fun. Watch a movie. And it always seems like something comes up that takes away my ability to keep that promise. Who keeps their promises? We start to think about those who make the promises in terms of conditions. Well, maybe they mean well. But really, if I'm going to get that promotion that was promised, I'm going to need to do something about it. If I just clean my room, then maybe mom and dad will keep that promise they had for me. We start to think about God that way, that, that he's made all these promises, yes, but really it falls to me. Because he's not reliable to keep his word. But this passage tells us something different. That God swore to Abraham, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And it's interesting, the, the, the phrasing of this promise. God doesn't say, Abraham, if you do these things, then I will bless you and keep you and multiply you. Though Abraham himself adopted that way of thinking. You may remember the story. He started to wonder. He started to doubt. And he thought to himself, there is no way God can multiply me. I'm super, super old. My wife is also old, but we're not going to discuss her age, but she's barren. And there's no way that God can keep his promises. And so he and his wife devised a plan to take her handmaid and have an heir through Hagar. So they gave, she gave birth to Ishmael, and Abraham thought, God made a promise, but it was up to me to keep it. How often do we do the same? That we hear the things that God says to us, and we rip it out of the context, and we put it on our shoulders, and we think we are the ones that have got to carry it out. But God says to Abraham, I will bless No, surely I will bless you. I will multiply you. And the barren womb was opened, and the aged parents gave birth, and the child with promise was delivered. God makes a promise here to Abraham And through Abraham, to all who are children of Abraham, children not of earthly descent, but children of the promise, I will bless you and multiply you. Through Abraham, he makes this promise. I will bless all of the nations through you. Not contingent, not conditional, not based on you, not waiting on you to take responsibility, God says, I will surely do it. When Abraham finds 
finds himself in a place where all of his works are brought to an end. And he waits patiently on the Lord. The Lord delivers. And Abraham obtains the promise, not because he did anything, but because he waited. Because the Lord is reliable. When he says he will do it, he does. He does not lie. In fact, it is impossible for him to lie. When he makes a promise, it is sure. Brothers and sisters, this world would have us believe that God is unreliable by sending upon us wave after wave of uncertainty and trial and tribulation, and we will be left wondering, is it worth waiting? Can God? Will God? And what God says again and again and again to us is, yes, I will. And we can wait patiently. We can endure, we can bear up under whatever trial we may endure, not because we have the strength or the capacity in us, but because God's word is true. And it will not falter. And it will not fail. We struggle to hold fast in our faith when our view about God and his promises becomes defective, when we start to think of him as unreliable. What is it that's tempting you to see God in that way? Is it just time? I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting at all. I will sit up at night wondering about how I'm going to fix all of the problems because I don't want to wait for a good night's sleep to come at them fresh. I want to fix them all in my head right now. And if I figure it out, I'm just going to get up and do it. I woke up the other night thinking about a problem and I emailed my wife because I didn't want to wake her up. I didn't want, like, but I, I didn't want to forget. We have a problem. We have to fix it. 2 a.m. Have you done that? I just don't like waiting. But God says, is, is my word... Sure, to you. Sometimes we bear up under heavy loads. It seems impossible that appear as if they will be the death of us. Relational problems, physical problems, health problems, problems in our very souls. we start to wonder, is God able to see me through even this? We'll find later that Abraham obtained the promise. His obtaining the promise wasn't, wasn't simply receiving Isaac. He knew that there was a city awaiting him, an inheritance awaiting him, whose builder was God. He obtained that promise when he went to be with him to live forever. So will we. So sure is God's promise that not even death can stand in the way of him fulfilling it to us.
We struggle to hold fast in our faith when we see God as unreliable. But he, he makes promises that he keeps. The sec- second thing I want us to consider is this. That we struggle to hold fast in our faith when we see God as disinterested. If one of our problems is that our view of God is defective, uh, another of our problems is that our view of ourselves is off. And maybe we look at ourselves and we think to ourselves, like, who's worthy of God's faithfulness? Who's done enough? Who, like, does he even see me? Does he even care? Why would he let me be going through all of these things if he cared? Surely, he's focused on more important people, more righteous people, better people. Can you read Psalm 145 responsively or on your own? And hear a God who is uninterested in the trials and tribulations of his people. Maybe you can. God knows our weakness. And so we read here in these verses that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, we make oaths all the time that we don't intend to keep. I swear, cross my heart, hope to die. Needles and all of that. But like, what are we we swearing on? And and the things that we swear on, if if we can cross our fingers and, and cancel it all out, like, is it really that important? Is that really that big of a deal? I swear on my my. My father's name. I don't want that tarnished. So I'm really going to, I mean it this time. I swear on the temple. The, the more intent we are, the more serious we are about trying to keep whatever oath, the, the bigger the thing is that we, we swear on. The writer of Hebrews notes that. People swear by something greater than themselves. But God, what's greater than he? And yet, in his compassion and in his care and in his grace and mercy and love for a weak and frail people, he desired to show more convincingly to them the unchangeable character of his promise. And so even though it is impossible for God to lie, he added to his unchangeable and unshakable promises an oath He will surely do it. And he had nothing else better to swear by than himself. And so he swore by himself. Surely I will do this. Do you hear that? That our God desires us to know how sure his promises are. And if it takes swearing an oath, He does it. 
And so we read that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the faith. Those, those two things are his promise and the oath. God can't lie in those things. To do so would be to deny the very nature and character of who he is. And so in, in making the promise and in making the oath, he's revealing to us the, the heart of God that he desires for us to have a strong encouragement. Hold fast to the hope that he's given us. Sometimes we see him as disinterested, as unloving, as uncaring, as far and distant from us as you can possibly be. But the scriptures testify to a God who is near, for a God who knows our weakness, for a, to a God who knows our frailty and speaks to it. That we might find encouragement from him, that we might know that he sees us in our frailty, that he sees us in our brokenness, that he sees us in our, our sin, he sees us in our shame, and he speaks to it, the acts. That we might hold fast to him, that we might draw near to him who drew near to us. How is it that God's merciful and gracious oath can be a refuge for you? A refuge is a place that you go for shelter, for protection, for security and surety. And so God's oath can be a refuge for you as a response to all of those things that would tempt you to think he won't keep his word because you are too weak, because you're too frail, because you're too sinful, because you're too full of shame, because you are too wretched. You may be all of those things. So we fly to a refuge not of our own making and not of our own design and not formed on the foundation of our own strength or wisdom. We fly to a refuge to protect us from our guilt, from our shame, from our frailty, from our weakness. And God in his word says, I am that refuge for you. I swear it. Sometimes we struggle to hold fast in our faith because we think our God is disinterested, but he is not. The last thing I want us to consider is this, that we struggle to hold fast in our faith when we see God as insufficient. And really, these other two things just get to this, that we think God is unreliable because there's something deficient in him. We think God is disinterested because there's something deficient in us. And all of that, we're looking for something to fill the gap. And so we hedge our bets. And we come to church and we go to small group and we read our Bibles and we pray from time to time. Now I lay me down to sleep and God is great and God is good. But 
we really are watching that 401k because like the stock market does crazy things. Or we just take control of whatever it is that is causing uncertainty in our lives. Even if it's the people in our lives, we just take control of them. We just find ourselves in a place where we just let all of that go and we just, we just rely on ourselves. I can't rely on anyone or anything else, but I'm just going to have to depend on me. We hedge our bets because there's a part of us that struggles to see God as sufficient for everything. This passage points us back to him. In verse 19, we read that we have this, this strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot going on in those verses. I was tempted to just preach on them. Maybe one day I will. But listen here. Do you see what's happening? That that there is a hope that is available to us. That is sure and steadfast. It is an anchor that will not give way. My dad had a boat. He had a couple of boats. And... He was committed to this particular anchor. It's like a, shaped like a mushroom. It's supposed to be really heavy, and you throw it off the side, and it's supposed to be heavy enough to keep you there. Except we would always like be fishing like near the ocean, intercoastal waterways sort of places, the wind and the waves, the tides and the currents. Like We'd throw that thing out, and psh, we're like 100 yards downstream. We'd throw it out again. And we, we were always trying to hope maybe we can land it on some oysters or something. Well, he gave up with that, and he bought a, an anchor that that, you know, had points on it. And that didn't work either. And, and he is exasperated. He goes and he talks to a guy who knows what he's doing. And he's like, you've got the wrong kind of anchor. You, you've, got, you've, got to have a, you've got to attach your rope to this chain and an anchor. So it's not just the weight. It's not just the pointy things that grab hold. All of it just lets it sink and it's not going anywhere and it's going to dig in. And oh, pulling that thing up was terrible, but it worked. We'd throw that thing off the side of the boat and we wouldn't go anywhere. We attach our hopes to a lot of things that have great weight. Our jobs, our spouses, our parents, our children, our bank accounts. But they pull loose, don't they? We don't have the right anchor. This hope that we have, it's a hope that's living. It enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This isn't an abstract hope. This isn't wishful thinking. This hope is a person 
The Lord, who, what is it that's entered into the inner place? What is it that has gone into the very presence of God where no one else is allowed? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone in to that place as a forerunner on our behalf. And as such, he is a fulfillment of God's promise that he will be our God and we will be his people because our Lord Jesus on our behalf has gone into the presence of God behind the curtain as a forerunner on our behalf, as a promise that our place where we were created to be is where he is in the presence of God, in joy and in delight, in his presence forever. That is where he is even now. But because we struggle to believe that sometimes, he is also our great high priest, not like the priests of old, but in the order of Melchizedek that we'll talk about another time, but a priest who is now in that place, in God's presence, interceding for us before the living God, reminding God of his oath, reminding God of his promises Reminding God of who he is and who we are to him. And so we have two unchangeable, unshakable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise and the word of oath. He is our hope. He is that anchor. And so the the application for us is this. To, To hold fast. To have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Is to hold fast to Jesus. Is to hold fast to all that he is and all that he's done for us. Sometimes we think of the the Christian life like a carnival game, like that that game where you hang from a bar for 100 seconds. I I would never play that game. I know better. But the game's rigged, right? They make the bar weird sizes. It's not, it rolls, it spins. But if you go to YouTube and you enter into the search bar, carnival game, 100 second bar, you will find no end to the videos that will teach you all the tricks to beat this game and get the, the plush toy prize. Apparently the tricks all involve you being more fit than an Olympic athlete, but that's beside the point. Oh, it's here's the grip, or oh, here's the technique, or oh, here's the... And we start to think of the Christian life like that, that if we're going to hold on to it, there's some trick to the Christian life, some technique I need to follow this Bible reading schedule. I need to, I need to join this kind of church. Or I need, like, there's some way to unlock it for us. What we find here is that way of living will exhaust you. You can't hold on for 30 seconds, much less 100. Much less your whole life. What this tells us is that the Christian life is more like a child being carried by her father out into the ocean waves for fun. And 
you know, those waves might get big. The water might feel deep. It might even be too much for her to stand up in. The wind might be howling. There might be birds around. And if things get real intense, she might hold on real, real tight and try to strangle her father if it's possible. But you know, throughout the whole experience, the thing that holds her fast is the loving arms of her father. And so it is with us in Christ. We behold a heavenly father who makes a promise who wants us to know beyond all doubt that he is good for his word, that he will never let us go. He himself is our anchor. Hold fast to him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see the truth of who you are, that we might find encouragement in a world that is full of uncertainty and frustration, and sin, and the guilt. Show us Jesus. We pray that you would do this for our sake, and for his glory. Amen.